Revelation chapter 19. If you uh, are visiting with us today, you would have had to be here for the last year to understand where we're at here, journeying through Revelation. Uh, We've come as far as verse 17. We closed looking at the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And then John's going to say here, I saw. If you notice down in verse 19, he says, I saw. In verse 11, he said, I saw. Three times in the chapter, something's brought before us. And each time where he says, I saw, it's not I glanced at or I just looked at. I perceived. He perceived something in all three of these places. So that's important. He says here, and I saw an angel standing in the sun. Seems like a hot place to stand, doesn't it? And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and them that sit on them, the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse. Remember this horse from last week. Can he get some press here? This white steed. And against his army, so he comes to make war against him who sat on the throne and his army, that's us. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him, here it is, that sat on the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So we come to this interesting picture of this second supper in chapter 19. The first supper is the marriage supper of the Lamb that you're invited to today. If you don't know Christ, you're here, somebody drug you out, and you're thinking, what in the world am I listening to? Well, there's certain things you do want to take note of. One is, earlier in the chapter, I talked about the marriage supper of the Lamb, where Christ finally has gathered the people that he saved together to a great feast in heaven. And you're invited to that today. If you've never come to Christ, you can make that decision today. But that's the first part of the chapter is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now we come to the supper of the great God. Same word, supper. Only you want to be at the first supper where you're there honored. You're the bride of Christ. You're at the supper there because the second supper, you're on the menu. So you don't want to go to that supper. So here these two great suppers are placed in front of us. Now look, we laugh. It's interesting for me to read through, and it's cursory. The the Lord gives a brief description. It's like all of the prophecies of the first coming of Christ. And then when he finally gets to Golgotha, they say, and they crucified him there. Psalm 22 gives us much more detail about the crucifixion itself. 
And here, this is the end of all the ages. Things are culminating before the thousand-year reign of Christ. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of those prayers are going to be answered. And there's this last great gathering of all of the armies of the world that are in rebellion against the Lord. We call this the battle of Armageddon. There's no battle. It's not like, you know, unbelievers hear the battle of Armageddon, they think nuclear war, some contest between the United States and Russia or Russia and China, whatever, and there's going to be months of battlefield positioning. And No, no, there's none of that here. The battle of Armageddon is over in a second. It doesn't say there's a shot fired. It's just this end that the Lord brings. I think he does it with a broken heart. I think he's made every opportunity for those who are created in his image and likeness to accept his forgiveness. To the point in chapter 14, verse 6, where he had an angel fly around the entire planet preaching the everlasting gospel in every language, every tribe, every tongue, every race, every people. Not God's heart that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. And as we get to this point here, this is the end. The Antichrist is there. The false prophet is there. Satan is there with all his invisible hordes. And there's more human beings gathered to that part of the world, a greater army than the world's ever seen. They are all blasphemers. They have all received the mark. They all worship Satan. And they are all set against the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the Lord describes it quickly. It's over. He speaks and it's done. It tells us this. Now, understand this is on the heels of, um, and there's a number of different places, but if you remember chapter 16, said there, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. And they are the spirits of devils, of demons, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Then to us, he says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together, the Lord is doing this, into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. And then the seventh angel pours out his bowl, and the great voice comes from heaven and says, it's done. It's done. It's finished. So we have these previous passages that kind of lay some of the groundwork for us on Armageddon. Now all of these armies gathered, 17 and 18, tell us how the kings of the earth pledged their allegiance to the Antichrist and so forth. And then we come to this chapter First part of the chapter, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Last week we looked at Christ himself in his glory coming, the very return of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And this last part of chapter 19 is about the battle itself. Very interesting. It tells us this, I saw, I perceived. It tells us this in verse 17. And an angel standing in the sun. 
And he cried with a loud voice, megalophonos, a loud voice, saying, notice this, to all of the fowls that fly in mid-heaven, in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Now, it's an interesting picture. Here is this angel. Very strange idea for you and I. He's standing in the sun. What in the world does that mean? I mean, look, this is a time we're told in chapter 14, Matthew chapter 24, a number of different places, chapter 16, that the sun has been darkened, that the moon and the sun are not giving their light and the stars are not shining. And now it tells us, well, here's this angel standing in the sun. We don't know. Is this a picture of the skies, hazy, overcast, and somewhere there's there's a bit of an orb coming through. They kind of know this it's the sun, but it's all dark. And this angel stands in the middle of that, and he's brighter than uh, the heavenly luminary, the sun. Uh, we don't know that. Are the skies completely covered over with darkness? And the angels on the other side of that, where the fowls of heaven can see him, standing in the sun, giving this command, we're not sure. We do have an angel over the winds, chapter 7, controlling the winds. We have an angel controlling the sun in chapter 16. We have an angel of the waters. Is this angel the angel of the sun in particular and the, its role in these last days? But he says, I, I saw this angel. He's standing in the sun. That's the way John describes it. And he said he cried with a loud voice. If, now, if you're going to yell at all the birds all over the planet, you need that. He, crow, he cried out with a loud voice. It says here, to all of the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven. And what he says unto them is come. The, the Greek word is actually hither. Gather yourselves together is is a eridist imperative. It means you need to do this once and for all. It's time to do this. You need you need hither is okay, front and center is the idea. He cries to all of the fowls of heaven, and they understand whatever language he's talking. And he says, Hither, front and center. Now, let's do this now once and for all. You must do this. Once and for all, this is the last great supper like this that the world will ever see. And he challenges them and he calls them to come to gather yourselves unto the supper of the great God. Now, this is ominous. The battle has not yet begun, but the angel's already speaking of victory. Battle hasn't even begun, and the angel's already talking about the carry-on, the dead bodies that are going to be there. And he's calling them to come to this Dinner. This is a terrible and sobering omen for the armies that have gathered because the sun's already darkened, the moon's already darkened, the stars, and now all of a sudden, I have to understand, every vulture, every eagle, every falcon, every hawk, 
every owl, every bird of prey, every raven, every crow, every seagull. Just what, what is this like for all of the birds that fly in the midst of heaven to be gathered? The, star, the sky then has to get darker and darker and darker. And this has to be a bad feeling for these guys on the ground to see that. And it must be a noisy, a noisy deal, too. Just imagine what that's like. You know, Kathy and I, about 300 yards from our house, there's an eagle's nest with bald eagles in it. And every year there's a, yeah, I know, it's the first time in 200 years there's been eagles in that area. So they have a cam. They also, we've read all about, you know, and the eagles are there. And once in a while they'll do a flyover. I'll be sitting in the yard and might do a devotions or something. And I'll, sometimes they're low enough I can see the white head. The young one, who's a monster too, he won't get a white head for five years. He's just kind of black. But you can see whether it's the mom or the dad. And they go over and it's breathtaking. And sometimes they're so, I watched one the other day, it was so high. I watched it for about 20 minutes and he never flapped his wings a single time. He just soared. He was just up there. you know. They, and, and their wingspan's in this area, six and a half to seven foot. They say up in Alaska their favorite food is, is fish, that their wingspans are eight foot. So you, you can imagine, you know, you look up in the sky and this is all you see everywhere. And they, they like carrion. Again, their favorite food is fish, but in, in, in my area what they do is whenever there's a roadkill, the township will take the dead deer and lay it in a specific field that the eagles are familiar with, so they're always there getting fresh venison, you know, backstrap and, you know, my, some of my favorite stuff. And they're, they're stout, you know. So you can imagine, what is it like to hear the screaming, to, to hear the sounds, to see the entire heavens blackened with the fowls from all over the earth? You know, at some point, that has to, a portal has to open, and Christ is seen coming through as the fowls even, you know, move aside. But you have to imagine what this scene is like. And they're called together for this great battle that's going to take place. And as they come to the supper, look, those of you that are prophecy studiers uh, know that there's more than one supper for birds in the Bible. I mean, here in chapter 18, it uses the word flesh five times. That you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, chiliarchs, men over a thousand, the commanding officers and so forth, the flesh of mighty men, and then the flesh of horses and those that sit on them. Then it says the flesh of all men, both free and enslaved, both small, insignificant, and great. They're, they're coming to eat the flesh, five times says flesh, of this host that's unimaginable. There is in Ezekiel 39 mentioned there at the end of that battle, the same thing, the birds... It says the birds of prey, they come and they gather for a human feast as well. Understand through history, it has been common at the end of a great battle, particularly with swords and so forth on the battlefield, for the birds of prey to come and sometimes be the only thing left moving on that scene. So it isn't unusual. But some people confuse the scene in Ezekiel 39 with the battle of Gog and Magog with this feast for the birds, and then they say, well, it must be, Gog and Magog must be a picture of Armageddon. There's some differences that we need to take note of. I don't believe that's true, by the way. 
In Ezekiel 39, it says this, this feasting of the birds of the air take place on the mountains of Israel. Here, it's the plain of Megiddo all the way to Edom. But there it says it's on the mountains of Israel. There it says every fowl and every beast of the field participate. Here, it's the fowls of heaven gathered from all over the world. In Ezekiel, God says to Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy. Here it's an angel who calls the birds of prey to come. In Ezekiel, the destruction that took place that left all the bodies was brimstone, a natural phenomenon of something falling from heaven. Here, the destruction is with the sword of our Savior's mouth. All of the destruction that takes place. There, it's the flesh of great men. Here, it's the flesh of all men. In Ezekiel, it says this all takes place when Israel is in a time of peace. This is not a time of peace in Armageddon here. The whole world has been disrupted and terrorized. Ezekiel, there's no mention of the Antichrist. There's no mention of water turning the blood. There's no mention of bowls of wrath. There's no mention of Jerusalem. It's very different but a feast for the fowls of the air at the end as well. Here, certainly, we have a different picture that's brought before us. This is the supper of all suppers. Ezekiel's just rehearsal supper. You know, this is the real supper here where they're gathered together. So I saw this angel standing, perfect tense, already having taken his stand, already standing in the sun, he cried with a loud voice to all of the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven. Hither, you got to gather once and for all unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and them that sat on them and the flesh of all men both free and bond, both small and great. No wonder Jesus said if he wouldn't return when he would, there'd be no flesh left alive. And I saw, moves into this next picture now, and I saw, again, I perceived the beast, the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse, and against his army, that's you and I. So he says, he says, I saw this scene. Again, Revelation 16 tells us these demonic spirits go and deceive the whole world, and they gather all of the armies of the whole world together. So we have kind of an unimaginable picture here. First of all, human beings finally decide to do something together. You know? Uh, you, you watch the news now, you can't get anybody together. Everybody's divided over everything. There's hatred, there's division. You can't get anybody together. You know, our prayer and our concern is we don't want it leaking into the church, but we're surrounded with it. Finally, every nation, every people, every color, every race, finally, everybody decides to do something together. Fight God. You gotta be, you know, you gotta be kidding me. You know, isn't it interesting? 
that, that all of a sudden the commonality outweighs all of the differences and that they don't want anything to do with the living God. Is that incredible? And by the way, we're surrounded with that today. We're being vilified, Christian believers. Our God is being mocked. Every moral standard and truth is being drug into the mud. And you and I are not appreciated or loved by the world that surrounds us, though, though we are commanded to love them, to share the good news of Jesus with them. Here, this is a culmination. It all comes at this point in time, coming together. <clears throat> and all the kings of the earth. It tells us in chapter 17, verse 13, I believe, that the ten kings, the ten horns, the middle of the tribulation period, they decide all of them will pay homage to the Antichrist. They're all going to bring their power to this one king. It tells us in 16, all of the kings of the earth and all of the armies of the earth are gathered into this scene, chapter 16, verse 14. The Antichrist is there in the midst of this scene. The false prophet doing miracles and so forth. Satan, the old dragon, and demonic hordes have filled this scene. And you have to imagine what's, what's taking place here as the whole world is gathered. It reminds me, you know, in some ways, Independence Day, Will Smith, you know. That president kind of gives give that speech, and he says, you know, we're all one now. There's an invasion from outer space. You know, all of our differences are gone. They don't outweigh this. You know, we have to, here comes this, you know, this supposed savior with all those hymn singers behind him, you know, coming through the sky. We've dealt with this before. The last time he came, we crucified him. We have power over it. We don't have to submit to this. And somehow he convinces the population of the world that somehow they have the ability to stand. Now, they've seen miraculous powers. They've seen the, the false prophet calling down fire from heaven and so forth. They've seen the Antichrist risen from the dead. They've all cried out loud, who is able to make war with the beast? They find out in verse 19, by the way. But that's the big question. Can anybody defeat him? Can anybody do battle with him? This is a world domination unlike anything the world has ever seen. A supernatural being with a supernatural prophet and then satanic powers given to him. Remember, Satan tempted Christ, and he said at one point, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the world and all of the glory of them, for they're given to me and to whomsoever I will give them. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. You know, the, the whole process there. You know, the Lord thy God, him only shalt thou serve, and so forth. So... Here, the Antichrist is empowered by the enemy. And you have to try to imagine what's happening here. You know, Psalm 2, why do the heathen rage? Why the nations imagine a vain thing? Why do they set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed? You know, uh, let us break his bands from us, cast away his cords. We don't want to have to submit to anything under this Lord. Look, today... Anybody who studies biology in high school, college, it's a ruse. Every researcher that thinks understands there's a digital code in the DNA, not an analog code, which means there was a programmer. It's impossible without a programmer. There is intelligent design. Nobody wants to admit that because if they admit creation, then there's accountability. Their moral lives are accountable to a higher God. Nobody wants that. 
Nobody wants it. And here, they're all going to fight against that. They don't have, they don't want to submit to that at all. So Psalm 2 says, the heathen rage. But it says, the Lord sits in the heavens. He laughs. Interesting, after the apostles are threatened and they were beaten, it says, when they heard that, their threats, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, and they said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth, and the sun and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, they go to some too. Why did the heathen rage? Why did the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand, they understood his sovereignty, and thy counsel determined beforehand. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant to thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. We need to say the same thing. Here we are, Lord. What's left? An hour? A day? A week? A month? Lord, grant to your servants, if we're his servants, you can't say the word Lord without being his servant, grant to thy servants boldness that we might share the love of Christ with this insane world that we're surrounded with. Because they have no hope. They have no hope. And imagine this scene now in, in Revelation. They're gathered. The armies of the world. Everybody's going to they're gonna do battle with a guy on a flying horse. How do you do that? You know, try to imagine the masses of military equipment that are gathered in this scene. How many fleets of ships, nuclear subs, cruisers, railguns, gamma lasers, surface-to-air missiles. How many are gathered there in the eastern Mediterranean, the Red Sea, the Persian Gulf? How many are gathered? Aircraft. What's, what's, what's happening there? Missiles, the military technology that has been enhanced by the beast, who's called the Lord of Fortresses in Daniel, the Lord, you know, the Lord of War. Think of the genius that's been added to our present technology. All of that is gathering together to do battle against this one who's coming through the heavens. I mean, just imagine, what what is that like? I saw, I perceived the Antichrist and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse, and then it says, and against his army. That's y'all. And the beast, here's the battle of Armageddon, the beast was taken with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he had deceived them that it received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped the image. They both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. That's the battle. That's Armageddon. Was that five minutes? What, you, know, you, you realize Christ is descending with the armies of heaven. The birds of prey must part. And here's this glorious one coming through. Nothing works. I don't believe anything works. He's the creator who spoke the world into existence. Every molecule, every element 
is his servant. I don't believe there's a missile that that will cooperate the fire. I don't believe there's any powder that will detonate. I don't believe there's a single element that will work against its creator. He spoke them into existence, and when he comes, they will bow, because all of creation is groaning and trailing, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. There's nothing here. Not even a gunshot is mentioned. Now, I ain't been there, so it's not like, you know, this is not a firsthand. But this is what I believe. There's none of that. This is not, not really the battle of Armageddon. It's not really a war. There's not two sides that are close, but the Lord comes out on top. There's none of that here. The control and command center, all of a sudden the Antichrist is raised out of it into the sky, and the false prophet, they're snatched, they're seized, is what the word says, and then both of them are cast into the lake of fire, Gehenna, it's the first time it's mentioned in the Bible. It's mentioned three more times in chapter 20. Once in chapter 21, this is the eternal place of suffering, Gehenna. Jesus will mention it. By the way, Jesus talked out of the 12 times you have it mentioned in the, in the Gospels, Jesus came from his mouth 11 times. Jesus talked about hell. Here, the first two occupants of the lake of fire which was created for Satan and his angels, not for men, we're told. Matthew 25, 41. The first two occupants are the two most wicked human beings that have ever lived. The Antichrist, who has yielded everything to Satan, went into the temple in Jerusalem, proclaimed himself to be God, and demanded that he would be worshipped above all that is called God. The false prophet who bears testimony to him with signs and wonders and miracles, gives life to the image of the beast, makes everybody bow down and worship him, and everybody receive the mark on his right hand and his forehead. These are the most two wicked... Adolf Hitler was a schoolboy. These are the two most wicked human beings that have ever lived, and they're both cast alive into the lake of fire. That's the battle. The Lord comes down. He snatches them up in front of their armies... And they're gone, and you have this mass of sinful humanity on the ground trembling without any leadership. The Lord of Lords and the King of Kings coming with the armies of heaven behind him, all surrounded by the birds of heaven. The scene is unimaginable. What takes place here as we look at this and the answer to the question, who is able to make war with the beast, that becomes very evident right here. Not a mention of a, of a shot fired. And it says this, And the remnant, now this is the rest of the armies of the world, just a remnant. The remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. Which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So, so Psalm 149 tells us, you know, that tells us to, that we should rest on our beds in glory. This is coming, and that we're going to descend with the Lord with a two-edged sword in our hand. This right have all the saints coming to judge this wicked world. But evidently, we never wet our sword. There's never a drop of blood on it. He does this all by himself. Isaiah 63, he tramples out the grape of wrath, grapes of wrath by himself without any assistance. And he does it with the word. He speaks it. Second Thessalonians says the brilliance of his coming destroys the Antichrist. Just this is unimaginable. And God is saying it to us. 
And it's supposed to be something that we have in our hearts. He, he descends. And what is this like, you know, when this is battle? The, the Antichrist, the false prophet, thrown into the lake of fire. Well, the rest of the dead are in Hades until chapter 20. When they're taken out of there, the judge then go into the lake of fire. Satan is bound in the abyss for a thousand years. Then he will go into the lake of fire. But the first two occupants, the leaders of this great mass of people, they're left leaderless, without direction, the one descending on the, from the heavens on a white horse. And it says, with the sword of his mouth, the rest fall, go down to the ground. And the feast begins. Cursory, brief. I believe God's heart is completely broken in this scene. I don't believe there's any celebrating of victory. He would say in Ezekiel, when he was going to judge Israel for their sin, he said this. He said, say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God of heaven has no pleasure in this. He is completely just. His wrath is completely justified. It's meted out in truth. That can't be removed from who he is. But I, I believe he's brooding in this. He's not enjoying this at all. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. In fact, God so loved this world of lost humanity that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. He made the greatest sacrifice that love can make because he doesn't want to see anyone lost. He has the 144,000 giving testimony. He had the two prophets outside of Jerusalem. He had an angel fly around the entire planet preaching the everlasting gospel in every language and so forth. And finally what's left here is image bearers that have been so defiled that they're shaking their fist at heaven and blaspheming the name of God. They have pledged their allegiance to the Antichrist and to Satan. They have received the mark. They are worshiping the devil. And the Lord comes. The right thing has to happen. I don't think he takes any pleasure in it at all. But he also knows on the other side, men are going to beat their military hardware into plowshares and pruning hooks, into agricultural implements. It's all going to take place. An age is coming that we prayed for, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where there will be equity and so forth. We'll begin there if the Lord tarries next week, chapter 20. But what will that be like? We'll be descending with him. The armies will be destroyed.
Psalm 24, no doubt answered, lift up your heads. O ye gates, be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, be lifted up, your everlasting doors, and the King of glory. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. No doubt that is being answered. Chapter 14, verse 1, I saw the Lamb and the 144,000 with him standing on Mount Zion. We descend, we come, the 144,000 are gathered. We're in the scene, it seems, remarkably, with all of that, it's brought before us. Try to imagine what that scene will be like. Will there be an incredible sound of swords going back in their sheaths that had not been used? <laughs> millions upon millions upon billions. You know, what will the song, it says, it says 145, there's a song that begins to be sung. We're told this in Isaiah, it says this, Arise and shine, for the light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee, Jerusalem. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Kyle and Delish tell us this is the, the beginning of the millennium when the Lord comes and the light of his glory, dark skies, darkness all over the world. He comes and a light begins to shine and people are drawn to that. And there are human beings, certainly those that were over in the area of Petra that were preserved of Israel. There are others that come. There is a human population that then repopulates the earth. You and I... If we're flying around on white horses, we've got an upgrade. So we're coming with him. We're in glory. No armor, no helmets. We're immortal. We come. The Old Testament states, after, I believe, the kingdom, extra 75 days, the temple set up, the kingdom starts to roll. The Old Testament saints are raised to step into all of the promises that were made to them. It seems like David is there in Jerusalem. And the Lord himself is in the temple, the rebuilt temple, and it says in the Holy of Holies there's a wooden table. There's nothing else. Probably bread and wine on it. And it says those who are faithful get to serve him. It says those who are unfaithful but believers, they get to stand before the multitudes. Isn't it interesting today how many people want to stand before the multitude? They can't wait till I die so they can get the pulpit. You know, we want to stay. No, no, it says the honor in the kingdom age are those who get to serve him, to see his face, to walk into that quiet place where there's just a wooden table, the Lamb of God. And those who, who were unfaithful but were the Lord's, they get to stand before the people and minister to them. You and I, the new model. We rule and reign with him for a thousand years, if you can imagine. That's next week, though. So read ahead. Everybody's good? Okay. 
Two things. Don't confuse bird banquets. Okay. There's one in Ezekiel. There's one here. Uh, understand this. There will be no solution with human process and human progress. So many people are talking about getting back to normal. There is no normal for us to get back to. Jesus said things will wax worse and worse. That happens to be where we are. And the fact that we have to read about this scene tells us there's no human method, no human ingenuity, no human progress, no human process that's ever going to make things right. It's going to be right when the, when the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings comes. That's when it's going to be right. That doesn't mean that we don't do our jobs now and share his love with the lost world. That doesn't take any pressure off of us. We need to be filled with the Spirit so the love of Christ can be shed or brought from our hearts by his power. Like Esther, we're chosen for such a time as this. Why he would pick us for now, don't ask me. But he did. So we have to share his love with the lost world. But understand, there'll be no real solution to social, economic, cultural problems until the King of Kings come and the Lord of Lords. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these things, Lord, and, and as we read through them, Lord, we, we are, Lord, at least resonating to some degree with you, Lord. We, we know from your word you would take no pleasure in this, but your justice is pure and holy and true, and equity, Lord, is part of your love. And, Lord, you have loved us. We are unworthy, Lord. No man in heaven was found worthy to open the seals in heaven, on the earth, under the earth. That's us, Lord. We will praise you because you've shed your blood for us throughout eternity. And, Lord, the lost in this world are no worse than us, Lord. You said whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. And that's how we got here, Lord, were the whosoever's gathered here. Use us in this day, Lord, to speak to those that are lost. Share your love. And, Lord, continue to stir our hearts about the days we're living in. We're so easily distracted. So many avenues to take our attention, Lord. We trust you and we ask you to do that, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen. And as we sing this last song, you're here today. Look, if you're not a believer, I hope you're freaked out by this. Now, you can't be freaked out by my rendition, but I know the Holy Spirit takes God's word, and you can be freaked out. This is a no-brainer. Do you want to go to the marriage supper, or do you want to be the supper? This is a no-brainer. This is a, a first grader can figure this out. God shares his love. You don't deserve to go to heaven. You're not worthy of heaven. You can never earn heaven. So Christ died in your place so his righteousness can be given to you because he bore your sin. So you can go to heaven simply by accepting his forgiveness or you can refuse that. I don't want him ruling over me. I don't want any of that stuff. Then you go to the other dinner. Your choice. Make your reservations this morning. Right? His love is there. You can have peace in this crazy day. You can have rest in your soul. Circumstances may not give that to you, but there is a supernatural stream, a reservoir that you can partake of 
and have rest in your hearts in this insanity. You can know that if you die today, you'll go to heaven because Christ has forgiven you. If you've never made that choice, you come. We'll sing this last song. You come, not to Calvary Chapel, not to religion, to Jesus. Put it all on him, to Jesus. Put it all on him. Your destiny, your forgiveness, your hope, your future. Put it on him. He's the one who asks, bring me your sin. I'll make the exchange. You owe a debt that you can't pay, so I paid a debt I didn't know. You come. Lord, I know you've overheard. Father, we pray your blessing as we sing this last song. Thank you for these images, Lord. It's beyond our comprehension. It resonates in us because your spirit is in our hearts crying, Abba, Father. But, Lord, intellectually to embrace this is it's beyond us, Lord. But in our hearts, we have conviction about it. And we thank you for that. Lord, any here today that have never come to you, they're tired of religious games or maybe never been religious at all, and they know they're empty. Uh, Lord, they're not sure of their destiny beyond this life. Draw them into your arms of love today. You add to the church daily such as should be saved, Lord, so we trust you to do that. And in your name we pray, amen.